welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I am Adam Diamond, your usual host. And today we're going to talk about a bit of a heavier subject. You might have heard our former episode. I'm not sure which episode it is. I probably should have looked that up on Church Hurt, where we just basically brushed over the topic and how it's a serious thing that we should deal with. And that it, it happens. And our emotions are real. The things we go through are very real. Uh, and sometimes we can be a little quick as Christians to just throw scriptures at it as little band-aids, um, not dealing with the heart issues and the damage underneath. Uh, but today we're going to take a little bit more of a deeper look at church hurt and how as Christians we can come alongside people and even how to tell if we've actually experienced church hurt or not, if we are actually, as a common term would say, victims or not, um, or survivors of abuse. Uh, so today I have a special guest with me. Her name is Naomi Wright of a Be Emboldened Ministries. Welcome, Naomi. Hi, thanks so much for having me here. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you could join us. So uh, Naomi, just to get started, so we're in a small province in Canada. Newfoundland is Canada's youngest province. We joined in 1949, but we are also the oldest province, haven't been here for about 500 years. We're a bit insular. We don't know a whole lot about you know other things happening in the States other than what comes through the news. Uh, so why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself to some of our guests. Tell us a bit about yourself uh, and what your background is. Sure. So my my personal background, my personal story and kind of how Be Emboldened came to be is that I was raised in a pseudo-Christian cult is how I refer it to it because I was raised believing I was Christian. There was no other name for my my group, the organization. I was told I was Christian. I was the true Israelite, you know, the real Christianity, the mm -hmm. real deal. And so that's the only name I had for it. And come to find out, I realized fully and completely at 28 years old that it had indeed been a cult and was not the real Christianity. My dad was the founder and leader of that group. And when he died when I was 21, that kind of, you know, pulled the first thread at my worldview because I was taught that he could not and would not die. So that came as a shock. And then my mom died when I was 25 and she had really been my world. She was just everything for me. And so losing her was really devastating. And again, I had been told she could not and would not die. So that was another big thread pulled where I couldn't really just kind of reconcile and keep my worldview going anymore. I really had to pause and ask some really tough questions mm -hmm. and ultimately fully stepped out of the cult within a few years after that, though I was taking steps, you know, along the way. And from there, I was working in different jobs. I have a master's in social work. I ended up at Denver Seminary. Um, I'm a couple classes away from a master's degree there, which really felt like it was for me to theologically and biblically just get my feet under me. Um, I'm just that way. I'm just that person where if something's been used incorrectly, I want to go learn, okay, what's actually correct so that I can better discern. I did that. I got I did that even with... Um, Oh, what's it called with personal training back in the day I had a personal trainer ended up with a knee injury so i went and got certified so i didn't get injured again. okay <laughs> i don't necessarily recommend it to everyone it's a lot of work and it's an expensive way to live but 
it has served me very well in a couple of instances and definitely going to seminary was one of them. So from there, um, really, again, getting my feet under me um, with what is true Christianity and how do I know? Why do I believe what I believe? And landed on, yes, I'm still a Christian. I do believe in in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. I do believe that this is the truth. I just was given a counterfeit. And so I was deceived. Mm -hmm. And coming through all of that process ultimately uh, started to be emboldened. It was, it's been a year that we've been a 501c3 in the United States. So a federal recognized nonprofit in the United States. I know that's different in Canada, but we've had that just for a year last month, um, launched about a year and a half ago. And we focus strictly in the area of religious abuse, which we describe as kind of being on a spectrum from our kind of mainstream denominational hurts that can happen, which very much matter and are very important, all the way to our more under the radar cult abuses that go on. Yeah. Uh, so are you married? Any children? Oh, you want me to go that direction? <laughs> well, we, we got, we got, yes. Let's, let's give them a full view of you. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So yes, I am married. I have one four-year-old little guy uh, named Blaze who is full of energy and just makes us really happy. My husband and I have been married for, it'll be nine years this year. Wow. Actually, so my wife and I will be married nine years this year, actually. And oh, nice. What we month? We have a uh, five-year-old daughter who will be six in December and a two-year-old boy who will probably be the reason we both turn white um, and go gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Will, I don't know what your little boy is like, but mine is a typical little boy and he will definitely be our first broken bone. Absolutely. like. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Very stereotypical, jumping on everything all over the place, just zooming. Yes. Always wants to fight with um sticks <laughs> and yes yes but he does love to snuggle at the end of the day so mama's happy there you go there you go all right so no that, that's great so um if you don't mind me asking how long ago was it that you you know came out of that pseudo cult how long has this transition be to reconcile with that sure so it's not a super clear-cut answer. Um, I don't have, so I do have a definitive moment when I was 28 years old, which I'm 37 now, so nine years ago, where I knew it was a cult. But I had started stepping out probably about 10 years before that in some ways. But in my mind, I was being sinful. Mm -hmm. You know, I was cutting my hair. I was starting to wear pants. I married outside of the group, even though he had been a Christian. Um, and so I, I was kind of, I was being disobedient. I was really in a lot of inner turmoil over that, but I had started stepping out. But for that final piece to fall into place was about nine years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you talk about religious abuse and though that's in the spiritual abuse and those are things that you look at and Church hurt can be a very real thing, where it's abuse of authority sometimes. Um, other times, it's other people taking advantage of us. Um, how do you think we can best go about telling when we've actually been hurt by a church um, and you've left the church for that? Or maybe you're just coming up against a truth that hits you pretty hard and you've left the church over that. Because I find that sometimes we can have people who leave over both and claim they both have church hurt. Uh, so how do you think we can best you know, tell the difference between those two things? I love this question. It is such an important question because you're absolutely right. This gets confused. And I think it puts a, an unnecessary pressure 
and potential concern on the churches because they're doing what they're called to do by God and they can get told, well, this has been a spiritual abuse or I've experienced a trauma. And so, yes, we really do have to have some some definitions of these terms to make sure that it does indeed fall into that category. So I absolutely agree with you. And with that, I love the church. And so I don't want the church feeling this way. So again, I'm really happy to be able to hopefully um, help and, and give some, some guidance for those who are listening. The, the overlap that I think can happen is where the information that's given may be correct and we could still maybe have an issue with the approach. And I think that's sometimes where things get a little gray and they get messy and people get confused and they may say, well, I'm leaving the church because this feels like spiritual abuse or you know, some level of that. This feels, this was a, a traumatic experience is how someone may define it. And so they walk away, but the information may have been 100% sound. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's an approach issue. And so I start to break it down that way. So was the action or were the words actually incorrect? So that's my first question. And then how do we know? So are they in alignment with scripture? Were they not? Like we need to look at scripture. That's going to be what we go to. And we're going to do our best to properly read that, right? So we need to exegete it properly. We want to look at our context. We want to grab some commentaries. We want to get some wise counsel. You know, we want to make sure that we're reading this correctly because we all come to the text with a kind of a pair of glasses on. So I could go and be like, well, I'm really upset about this. Look, this, this backs me. Well, maybe it doesn't. And I'm just looking for that because I'm upset. Yep. Could be totally unintentional. Doesn't mean we're doing it on purpose, guys. So it could totally be an accident. Um, but we want those checks and balances to make sure that we don't do that because we don't want to misapply God's word. When we're, especially when we're making big decisions about leaving a, you know, a, a group of believers or not. Like These are big decisions to make. So are we in alignment? Is the action or the words taken in alignment with scripture? Were they poorly interpreted interpreted and applied within the context of the passage? And again, the Bible as a whole. If the words were incorrect, then the church does have a problem to address. And I would say, depending on the problem, and I think this is really important, we can go to whomever said it or did it, and we can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And depending, we may need to go with other people. Um, Matthew 18, I think, can get misapplied sometimes in these scenarios. Um, I do not believe that Matthew 18 is telling us that if someone was sexually abused by their youth pastor, they go alone to have a conversation about it. And unfortunately, <laughs> there are some people who say this. Thank you for laughing because it sounds ridiculous, right? It does. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has to be, con- there are people who are saying this. And so it's like, no, 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 no has to be safe, needs to be a safe place to go have that conversation. So sometimes it's not going to happen with the victim at all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would happen, you know, depending on the scenario with the victim and other people. So just want to put that out there. Um, If not, if the words were not correct, then the action, or sorry, if the words are correct, then was the action done or the words spoken poorly? And if yes, then again, we have an opportunity to address the approach. 1 Corinthians 13, I think, is where we can go for her on what the approach looks like. And it also talks about just how highly important it is. So the approach can change the whole message that's being communicated. So I don't think approach can just be minimized or thrown out. So it's another opportunity for growth, for good conversation, hopefully for whomever made the mistake and whoever caused the harm 
to acknowledge it, take ownership and say, I am so sorry. And yes, I want to apologize and I want to correct this moving forward. Mm -hmm. So if there's an opportunity for reconciliation, that is a beautiful thing, if it's at all possible. If we're looking at there wasn't an approach issue, the words spoken were correct, then it was done and said well, and someone likely just didn't like the truth. So instead of feeling convicted or embracing the feeling of conviction, they felt defensive. And if this is the case, they could absolutely still come around. Uh, sometimes people react in the moment and they need some time to wrestle things through with themselves before reaching this place of humility, acceptance, repentance, um, and then reconciliation within themselves or whomever their their convicted action, you know, that feeling refers to, you know, whomever else may be impacted by that. Yep. And again, we want to allow some room there. So I hope that that conversation is open on both ends of if someone gets upset and they go and say, well, the leader did this, I'm leaving, you know, maybe they come back around. And I would hope if they had the humility and, you know, that ability to return, that the doors would be open um, and people would welcome them back with open arms. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, Paul writes that we have been given a, you know, a ministry of reconciliation. I mean, that's from people to God and you know, preaching the gospel. Also within the church, we should see, we should see reconciliation also within the body of Christ. And I, I appreciate you started off earlier by saying, you no, know, you love the church and it's hard. I mean, I, I pose this question sometimes to people. It's hard to be a Christian and not love Christ's bride, right? Like how can you say you're a Christian, but not love the church or not want to be a part of the church when Bible says, you know, that's, that's Jesus' bride. <laughs> so you're mm -hmm. not loving the same thing that Jesus loves. Um, doesn't mean it's perfect, but you do bear with one another. You do bear one another's burdens. And sometimes we do things wrong. Um, we do some, we, we can make some pretty big mistakes sometimes. Uh, and that has dealt, dealt with it. It gets messy. And we don't like the messiness that can sometimes come with dealing with the situations uh, properly and correctly and in a godly manner. Um, yeah. And I think, I think something that can complicate it even more is that when trust, so gosh, especially when we involve spirituality, when we're talking about God and we're talking about his people and we, if we have come out of something already, we, maybe we weren't even born Christian, whatever that looks like. And we come in and we're like, gosh, this is, this is going to be a safe place to be. And then come to find out maybe it wasn't fully because yeah, people are broken, but there are also bad people in some of our churches. And it sounds like you guys know that where you are, like you have had some horrific things happen. And we have absolutely in the United States, all over the world, mm -hmm. um, be emboldened. We meet with people all over, um, not just in North America. And so we just see it it's just everywhere. And so people walk in and they're like, gosh, this is going to be a place I can trust and it's going to be safe and come to find out God is who we trust and God is who is safe. And we, we have that confusion sometimes of, gosh, everyone's going to be just like him when the truth is even we're not, but then there are also our false teachers or our deceivers. There are really, really bad things going on. And so we have kind of these two categories, right? Of imperfect, broken people who are going to make mistakes and prayerfully are going to recognize those mistakes and rectify them. And then we have like the, the wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we, there yeah. is a difference between those two. And particularly for those of us who have experienced the wolves, 
we can get really nervous about, can I trust my discernment? Can I trust myself to, to know if it's going to be a, a wolf or not? And so it puts a lot of fear and people, and it takes time to work that through. And an area that I'm fascinated by and love and have really leaned into is just what happens when someone has a genuine traumatic experience and what happens physiologically in their bodies. And the way God designed us is amazing. The way our bodies will then remember and respond and throw us into that threatened state Mm -hmm. is for safety. And yet the way we're designed, we can actually switch that back. So we're really malleable. So we can really heal. Like literally our brain and our neurocircuitry can change again and we can heal. And so that's an area that, you know, being bold and like, to lean into because people will say, oh yeah, okay. So I want to trust the church again. I want to go back, but I walk in the door and I feel like I'm going to, you know, come out of my own skin. It's like, that's a physiological response that's happening, but we can, that doesn't have to stay the same. We can change that. And I'm just so thankful that God designed us in a way where we can really recover. That's really good. So talking about recovery, um, as Christians, we should definitely take church hurt very seriously. Um, when anyone is actually legitimately hurt by the church, uh, I mean, I've got stories from just the legalism that was here years ago of kids, you know, being sent home because their parents sent them to Sunday school with a Bud Light t-shirt on. Um, so, so many different other things, uh, your fingernails weren't clean enough, you know, just really weird nitpicky things, but it, it happened, um, along with the sexual abuse scandal that's here. Um, and I mean, that's a whole nother, yeah, can of worms to open up and how to help someone deal with that. I mean, they need counseling. Um, they need to actually work through what's happened with them. Uh, but as Christians, as we take church hurt seriously and that people have been hurt by the church, that, you know, our church may have done something wrong in the past, denominations may have done some damage in the past. How as Christians now do we come alongside them, the people that want to come back to church again? So first, listening is huge. And I want to give you guys a couple of reasons why, because you, you might assume, well, of course, yeah, we listen to them. So actually that trauma healing piece that I was just re- referencing, the first thing that helps in lowering that trigger response, that trauma response is retelling the story. And so it's actually helping the person, their actual body to start to st- they stop releasing over time all of those hormones and chemicals in their body that throw them into that fight, flight, freeze, fawn stage. So, and sorry, I'm trying not to get really technical with it, but just keep it simple. But if that happens, it's really hard for the person to move forward. So retelling their story actually helps the body to stop doing that. So it can genuinely help them to heal and to feel safe in their environment, which is just a really incredible gift to give someone in on many levels. So all the way from that, just how God designed us biologically, chemically to just feeling heard and feeling like, wow, this is, you know, these are people that will listen and that I can feel safe with to share. So And as far as believing people, I think that comes into play. Sometimes we listen, we can think like, well, that sounds crazy. Did that really happen? Mm -hmm. The percentage of people, when we look at sexual abuse specifically, the percentage of victims who are survivors who say that they were victimized, who are lying is so minuscule. It's like a really small number. 
We don't know for sure how to apply that exactly to all forms of abuse. Like I don't have data for church hurt in general, but I would say err on the side of caution and believe the person's story. It's probably actually really hard for them to tell you. And what victims tend to do, or I like to say survivors, what they tend to do is they will emotionally shut down and just tell their story on autopilot. And you may not see much emotion. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means that they're disassociating while they're telling their story because it was a true traumatic experience for them. So again, we don't want to be like, well, they didn't seem really impacted. So I think they're making it up. Lots of things are going on in their body. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's let's believe what they're saying. Whatever, whatever that is at the end of the day, ultimately what matters is that person feeling like they can be reconciled with Christ, that they can be a part of of the bride, that they can be a part of the community. And so, again, I think that can be a real sticking point for people is, oh, I'm listening, but this just doesn't sound realistic. I wouldn't get hung up there. I just, that's not where I would stay. Like, listen to the story, you know, believe them to the best of your ability. They're probably not lying. Now, some things memory-wise may be a little off, but again, it's the story in a whole at whole is probably true. And so we want to come alongside and we want to support. It's not really on us at the end of the day to be to be judging that. It's on us to come around and support people and help reconcile them to the truth of who Christ is and how they should have been loved and treated. So that's first and foremost. Second, we want to offer understanding, even if that understanding is an honest statement that you don't understand, <laughs> which might sound silly, but that's okay. So if you say that I care, I want to be available for what you need to the best of my ability. And I'm going to be honest and say, I don't know how to respond. Like, this isn't my area. I haven't heard something like this before. I don't know what to do, but I care. And so how can I serve you? Like, can I connect you with someone? Can I listen to you? Do you want to go for coffee? But let's be honest about feeling inadequate and being at a loss for words. Like, I don't know what to say and I don't want to say the wrong thing. So will you tell me if I do? Because I would love to learn. Yeah. So let's be humble and be willing. And then remember that this person has likely taken losses of one kind or another because of the church hurt they've experienced. So whether they've lost relationships They've lost beliefs that they held to be true and maybe found out that they were not. Mm -hmm. Maybe they lost a job because they had worked for this organization. They've lost trust um, of others or of their own judgment, like I mentioned, and therefore they're likely grieving. And that's a big piece that I like to bring up because the grief can be overlooked. So they've lost something. And in some cases, they've lost everything. In my case, I lost everything. And grief takes time. It's not linear. It can ebb and flow. It comes and goes, particularly with the confusion that comes from church hurt. Like that's very confusing. So someone may need to tell their story over and over again as they seek to understand like what happened and what's actually true and contrast to what they were told or what they experienced. Um, A couple more points to make that community and scripture are commonly, though not always, triggering for someone for a while. So again, that this can feel unsafe. And do I even trust myself to know if this is true or not, if this is being done accurately or not? So recognizing that um, how seemingly small steps can be, like they can appear really small, but in reality, they can be really big for someone who's experienced like real church hurt, real trauma. Um, if a church hurt an individual at the, yeah, that's big. So let's not assume that it's kind of 
something to just glaze over. Um, it's probably really significant and it's going to serve the body well to remember how love is defined in first, first Corinthians 13. So to be patient. So let's meet people where they're at and walk alongside them, encouraging them forward, gently patient, you know, with kindness. The last thing I want to mention, and this is for all of you who have not experienced church hurt and, you know, for leadership, and this is not your fault if you didn't have anything to do with it. I know that feeling of feeling like, well, we're connected to the body of Christ. So in some way, it can almost feel like we're guilty by association. And if you didn't do it, this isn't your fault. And so, because that can get in the way of stepping forward and really helping someone. Now we do want to be a part of the healing. We want to be a part of the solution, but if we didn't do it, then it's not our fault that it happened. And again, I just, I want to free people up in that, like, don't take on this shame that is this blame that is not yours. So remember that you are um, who you are, but okay. again, we're not guilty by association and the shame's not ours. So hopefully it can help us to better understand the struggle or the potential trauma and the resulting fear and distrust that someone may be experiencing. Um, but let's not get hung up on that and feel the weight of what happened in such a way that it immobilizes us from taking action. No, I, I really appreciate that. So, um, I'm planting a church in our downtown area in our city, um, and there's a lot of, we'll say, disenfranchised people who have been hurt or have just left their former denominations in our downtown core, uh, along with your typical, you know, mental health and uh, so many other issues and that downtown cities usually have. Um, but I came across one guy just recently, and uh, I don't know if, I, I don't think there's any church hurt, but this is a common thing that people who have been hurt by a church or not have said. And I said, yeah, I'm starting a church downtown. They're like, oh, that's nice. You won't get me out. <laughs> and it's just blunt like that. And I love it. It's, it's great. Um, but uh, it's it's so good to keep in mind these things, um, to listen and to, you know, help them see that, you know, it's probably not your fault. And there's conversations to be had. And it might not even have been the leadership's fault. It could have been someone else in the church. And helping them just slowly walk through this. And that's a process. And like you said, to be patient. Um, if I have anyone coming in through the doors right now, we're just meeting in, you know, my house. But it's to have that patience for them and to be able to see, again, God's going to work through them in his time. He's mm -hmm. going to help that facilitate that healing. And if God has taken us, you know, I'm 33, you said you were 37. If it's taken us this long to get where we are, it's not that God can't do it instantly, but he takes that process with us. Then it's going to take a while for them to come to terms with what's happened and uh, even how to even begin that healing process. Uh, I experienced a little bit of, uh, of some church hurt in my past as a pastor. And uh, one thing that was said to me by a good friend was basically, show them the grace you, you wish you had been shown. And that spoke to me volumes. Uh, okay, that's how I'm going to respond to this. And show them the grace I wish I had been shown. And again, just exampling the gospel through our actions, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like, you know, I'm not ready to forgive, but just practicing and rehearsing what's happened and where does the gospel fit into all this and such good re reminders mm -hmm. um but so we've talked about what we can do now let's talk a little bit what we shouldn't do because <laughs> sometimes we can be a little blind to people's hurt we can be a little abrasive uh you know we can make mistakes so what kind of things shouldn't christians do uh when we come across someone who's been hurt by the church 
Yeah, I'm going to just, I think I have three or four points I'm going to make and I'll just kind of rattle them off quickly. But um, there's certainly nuances to this, but kind of going broadly, big picture things that you can kind of, you know, stick in your toolbox and take along with you. One, to please don't allow any securities you may have in regards to supporting this person to get in the way of interacting with them. So I already kind of mentioned that a little bit. That would be the you know, oh, I'm not sure what to say. So I just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that. Um, we don't want to pretend it, it gives the the feeling that we're pretending they didn't even disclose their pain. Um, so we're just going to act like nothing happened or we steer clear of that person because we're just feeling insecure. We don't know what to say. What that ultimately does is it widens that gap between them and that healthy healing church experience. We want to close that gap. We don't want to widen it. So again, just say the securities, go ahead and state them aloud. Just say, I don't really know what to say, but I care and I want to be available. If I say something wrong um, and I step on a, you know, a minefield by accident, if I step on something, please tell me. I want to know because that matters. I want to learn. Um, so that posture of humility is going to go a long way. Um, that's really actually kind of my main point. I can break it down a little bit more, but for example, yeah, I'm not sure what to say. I feel the weight and pain of what you shared and I desire to be present for you. I'm not sure how to do that though. And I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. So will you please tell me if I do so I can learn how to support you well. And if you're unsure, reach out, you know, this is for the person who's, you know, you say that, but then you might be going home feeling like, gosh, I really don't know what to do. I really don't know how to handle this. Um, you don't you don't have to do that on your own either. You know, I, I would want others to reach out for support, you know, reach out to the church leadership. Um, if you're a part of a healthy community, get them involved. Um, oftentimes churches have a background, whether it's the, the lead pastor or not, usually there's some kind of background in pastoral care mm-hmm. and reach out to be emboldened. I mean, this is what we do. This is what we want to help with. And so we love supporting people and supporting other people. You know, that's part of the work to be done is to replicate. We can't do it all. So we love to teach support and train others on how to do this well so that they feel more comfortable. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time. Um, really uh, excited about what you're doing. You're a new, newer ministry and helping people, but it's a, it's a really great thing because we do need to be better, I think, at helping people through that abuse um, and the trauma in our lives. And we don't want things to get in the way of people and accepting the gospel. You know, what matters most is, you know, where you end up with your soul. Um, that's what's at stake. Um, not to diminish any trauma or abuse that we face here on the earth, but again, keep our eyes on God and that he's the one that won't let me down. He's the one that will, that I can trust in. Uh, so thank you so much for your insight and uh, taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Again, thank you for the opportunity. I love talking about these. These, these were excellent questions. I'm so happy that they'll be out there. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so if you've been listening, uh, catch us again next week. Uh, thank you so much. And if you want to learn more about uh, Naomi, what she does, just search up and be emboldened ministries uh, and you'll find her website pretty quickly. So thank you again, Naomi, and uh, have a great day. You've been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is brought to you by Mile One Mission. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland and Labrador, visit www.mileonemission.ca.